What is going on? We are back with you again for a special edition installment of the Around Georgia podcast. Uh, we are uh, we are going to be with Mr. Candler Cook uh, this week, as we as we have uh, referenced a few a few weeks leading up to this thing. This is something that we've had planned out for a little while. Uh, Candler has an incredible story of his time at Georgia and uh, and and the uh, the things he had to go through in order just to make the team something so simple you would think uh just from the outside of looking in is is, is being a walk-on and, and making the team but but Kendler saw a lot of uh, a lot of controversy and and, and issues that, that arose whenever he was trying to make the team but he just uh he kept on pushing and kept on doing what he had to do in order to make sure that it happened and uh we're gonna be talking to him this week about that absolutely it was a great interview great story from Kendler. everything that he had to say was really awesome and, uh, you know, we're kind of going back over some of the footage now. Uh, right now, as we record this intro, it is Saturday afternoon. Uh, beautiful, sunny sky, nice, cool, uh, I don't know, warm warm air, but it's cool too at the same time. I don't know, it's, it's the temperature I think heaven's going to be when we get there. Um, it's just a beautiful afternoon here in Northeast Georgia, and we're glad to get to bring you this content. This is one that you're not going to want to miss. Uh, we're going to bring it to you in two parts. We're going to have part one, which is kind of his journey to become a Georgia Bulldog. And then part two is going to be his uh, you know, journey and experience as a Georgia Bulldog. And he was really a part of the Georgia football program. The Georgia football program was at a crossroads uh, there in that 2010-2011 season. You're going to hear him refer to, especially in the second uh, podcast, you're going to hear him referring to this term, flipping the switch. Uh, which they tried to do in 2011, and a lot would argue uh, there was definitely a flip that switched uh, between 2010 and 2011. He's going to get into all of that. We're not going to take up any more time. We're going to get right into this. This is Around Georgia, and this is an interview with Candler Cook. All right, Candler, thank you so much for being on our show. Just so glad to, that you even had us out to your home here in, uh, in Atlanta. Um, you know, we had to make the, the big drive from the metropolis of Madison County to the small little, you know, town of Atlanta. But we're, we're glad to be here. Glad that you're on the show. Uh, first off, as a former dog, well, I guess once a dog, always a dog. There's no such thing as a former, right? Um, unless you're Jermaine Burton and you transferred to Alabama, then we just kind of forget about you. But, uh, you know, as a former dog, uh, what was it like being there in Indianapolis at the ball game when the dogs uh, won and the confetti fell? Thanks for having me on, Kent. That was just an incredible experience. There have been countless years where Georgia has been knocking on the door. We've been number two or number three um, or made the playoff before or been right on, on the edge, the very first team left out. And this season really felt different in a lot of ways from the very start. Um, I've never seen Georgia play with that level of consistency across a 12-game regular season schedule. There were no letdowns. Um, however, when they got to Atlanta for the first time, there was, you could say, a bit of a letdown, although Alabama was an extremely talented team. That was, that was not a trap game or anything. You're playing against one of the best teams in the country. Were you at that game, too, in Atlanta? I was. It was amazing the the difference between those two games and absolutely, especially with how Georgia played. I really don't even know if Alabama played all that different from game one to game two, but Georgia sure executed. Everything we did was working better. Whether it was running the ball, um, making Bryce Young run for his life, sacking him, um, intercepting passes. We did do a better job of protecting the football the second time, but both times um, it, it was interesting to see the difference 
that Georgia can make when they really bring their A game. So to see them go from losing that game to Alabama to completely regaining their form against Michigan and then finally getting over the hump against Bama in the championship was just incredible. And the way that it happened was amazing. I mean, it was a close game really until middle of the fourth quarter. And then finally when we start to pull away, um, Keely Ringo gets that interception. And I don't think anybody will ever forget that play. I know that – so I, th- I think it's a pretty good kind of lead into your story, uh, kind of how the Georgia-Alabama dynamic worked out the season. Because, you know, when we played Alabama the first time, you know, we, we, we got denied, obviously, in a big way. You know, it was, it was never close. It was never – you know, it, it, we, we held it with them for, what, two drives? And then it was over after that. And you just had the feeling that it was over at halftime. But, you know, we, 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 we hung in there. We took care of business. We beat Michigan. Then we got back and then we played Bama again and had redemption – Instead of just throwing in the towel after the uh, after the first uh, the first try that we had, and I think that kind of leads into your story a lot as well, because you know ba- based on the story that 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 we that me and Kent both have read in your book this week, you know, you you weren't given the the keys to the kingdom right away. There, there seemed to be a lot of times where you were told, you know, that that, that you were too small, too slow. I remember you had the note that that was left in your locker, and uh, and and. Y- that was that was kind of something that you used to drive you to to bring you back to to try out again for another season. And so uh, I think that the way that Georgia's been this season it was kind of like a almost like a analogy of how it, things went for you whenever you were at Georgia. So uh, Kent, you'll say something. Yeah, I was just gonna say it kind of reminds me of another Georgia quarterback who maybe. <laughs> Maybe, you know, as he was coming, um, and, and for those of y'all listening, uh, you're going to hear Josh and I not come in and out quite as much. We're, we're sharing a mic right now, some technical difficulties. But, uh, you know, I, I think of Stetson Bennett and his story, nobody gave him a shot. And he kind of, you know, he, he read those scouting cards too. Even after he came back from, um, you know, junior college when they are saying, you know, he's, he's a D1 Power 5 backup at best. And uh, ultimately, getting the starting job in 2020, coming back in 2021, being as far down as third or fourth on the depth chart at one point, and pursuing to get the job. He had his eye on the prize, and he he pursued. He got the starting job, and he won us a national championship, did something that no other Georgia quarterback's done for us in 41 years. Um, You had a goal, and you were going to work for it, and you were not going to be denied that goal no matter what. Tell us about your experience um, coming from, you know, uh, you know, high school football where you were even telling me you didn't get to play a whole lot and then all of a sudden dressing out as a bulldog you know it was an incredible experience um looking back at high school my senior year I was fourth string out of four on a small team really the whole time in high school the only time I got to play was when we were up by at least 35 points so was one of the the smallest and slowest um players on the entire team one of the weakest but when I got to Georgia, I really had my mindset on finding a way to make that football team. And it seems like a crazy goal, and it's not one that I really shared publicly. I kept it to myself. Um, but when I got there, the first step was I needed to figure out how to even get to try out for the team. Now, um, under Kirby, Georgia has revamped the process and made it to where it's publicized. Everyone knows what day the tryout is, and it's a one-day tryout. It was the exact opposite of that when I was trying out. Essentially, back then, everything was very secretive. You needed to be one of these guys that was kind of recruited, but maybe there wasn't a preferred walk-on spot for you, and then they would tell you. But they were certainly not broadcasting it, and it also was not a one-day tryout process. It was an eight-month tryout process. So you found out two days before the first game whether you made the team or not. That was a lot of work to put in to potentially be turned away. 
So I lucked out um, in even finding out when the tryout process was. I was at a um, an event, a rush event um, for incoming freshmen the summer before I started at Georgia, and I ran into a kicker from an opposing high school team, and he was very talented, and he was one of those guys that they invited to the tryout. And so I found out from him the name of the coach who um, was in charge of the walk-on tryout. And now I was going to be looking for a different tryout because they actually did specialists and then um, position players on different days. But I at least had the the coach's name, Coach Tereshinsky, that was in charge of the walk-on program. So I decided to go to Butts Mayer um, on a whim the day before classes start my freshman year. And I had this very short speech prepared in my head. I wanted to tell him that I would like to try out, but I really figured the less detail I could give, the better, because if he started to dig too much into what were your stats, I would get laughed out of the room. So I'm getting ready to go up to his office, very nervous, don't really know where his office is, but the secretary told me it was on the third floor. So I go into the elevator in Buttsmare and get ready to walk in, and I see a hand hold the door open for me as the doors are getting ready to close, and it turns out it's Coach Tereshinsky himself in the elevator. So I see him and he takes one look at me and he says, are you the guy here for the tryout? And he's clearly thinking I'm somebody else that he's communicated with several times, but I decided to just go with it. I said, yes. And so he says, oh, well, it's about to start in five minutes. The meeting is. And so I go with Coach Tereshinsky himself downstairs to where the meeting was starting only five minutes later. He doesn't even ask my name, anything about me. Um, and just walks me right into this meeting. And there are a bunch of other people that are already sitting down. He meets with us and outlines how the tryout process works. And this is in August, right before school starts. And he basically says that everyone in that room is going to be able to work out in the team weight room with a graduate assistant coach supervising workouts. And if people meet um, really kind of their expectations, that he would then let them try out for the team that spring. So you're already not playing that fall. But if you do everything right, then in January, you could get the chance to start the eight-month tryout process. So um, got through that meeting, and they had everyone go through, do a physical, and then start working out that fall. And uh, the workouts were actually not that difficult. Um, it, it was only a small group of us. The coach overseeing it would really just tell us what to do and let us do it. They weren't trying to push you. You, you kind of had to do everything yourself. And I decided to augment that was trying to gain as much weight as I possibly could. So to to set the picture, I'm uh, 145 pounds, uh, wanting to try to play linebacker since I knew how to play from high school and knew I needed to gain a lot of weight in a hurry. So I start with eating six full-size meals a day, uh, about once every three hours, maybe three and a half hours, and um, sandwich those around workouts, around class, everything. And lo and behold, by the end of the semester, I'm a lot stronger. Um, my squat had already gone up from 195 to 315. Um, my weight had gone from 145 to 185, and that's in about a four-month period. Um, and so at that point, they were willing to let me try out for linebacker that spring. So I'm very excited about it. Uh, the tryout's finally here, and it basically goes through different phases. The first phase is in January, you're only doing team workouts and conditioning. So I knew that that was coming up, so I focused on trying to be the strongest and fastest that I could. And then in February, the dreaded mat drills were going to start. And those were legendary in a good and a bad way. Um, David Pollock talks about them being the toughest thing that he ever did. And actually, Coach Rick's final year at Florida State, they sadly had a guy who pushed himself so hard he passed away during mat drills in the gym. I know that had a, a pretty profound effect on Coach. Wow. 
Wow. So the, I mean, these were brutal. I later saw a couple teammates of mine. There were actually three of them that were um, former military guys that were a little older, and, and one of them um, actually couldn't even finish mat drills, if that gives you any kind of idea of the, of the expectations. So basically, you're essentially crouching in a football stance, chopping your feet under a chute, and you're not wearing a helmet. So if, if you stand up at all, you're going to crack your head on some metal. Um, and then you're doing up-downs on a wrestling mat, running back and forth. And it's an interesting, different standard um, in probably the exact opposite way that you would expect. If you're a scholarship guy and you're not able to make it through a day of mat drills, the trainers just pull you to the side and um, they, you know, they kind of just give you some water and say, it's okay, you can just go sit over there. You can try you know, two days from now when we have the next mat drill. If you're trying out to be a walk-on and you ever can't complete a rep, they just take your name down and say, okay, your tryout's finished, just get out of here. So they, they kick you out for good right then. And so probably at least half the guys trying out one day or another are not able to finish it, and they're just booted out of the building. Um, so I was able to get through those, did, did an okay job. I definitely didn't stand out in a good way, but I was nowhere near close to quitting or, or throwing up during a drill or anything like that. Um, and then in March, you start actual football practice. So, you know, I'm, I'm out there, um, you know, undersized for sure. Everyone, I'd say, including the walk-ons, were, were all probably 215. So I'm noticeably smaller than everybody. I know the drills because um, they're slightly more advanced versions of the same high school linebacker drills that everybody does. Um, but I noticed that I'm nowhere near as skilled at reading plays as a lot of these guys are. It was incredible to see the intuition in some of these reps, even in things like um, just doing team drills that, that aren't even tackle. You're just tagging off on someone. A lot of these linebackers, somehow, they could tell play action before the play fake even happened. A lot of guys are kind of stepping up to see that it's a run. Some of these linebackers, like Rennie Curran, um, Danelle Ellerby, they knew exactly what was going on the instant the ball was snapped. Whereas, for me, I'm already slower than most of these guys, and I'm reacting slower. So it's, it's creating a bad one-two punch. So then to fast forward, I get to play four snaps in the G-Day game that year. Um, I was on the red team, and we did win that game. And then um, at the end of G-Day, they actually make a pretty significant round of cuts. They make several throughout the process, with the final one being right before the first game. And I find out that I got cut and did not make the team. So let's going back to G-Day um, – what was it like? Because you're you're dressed up in the red and black, the the silver britches, red helmet. You've been watching it your whole life. I imagine that you know, although it's it's not a fall Saturday, and it, it it's not you know it, it's not you know it, one of those regular season games. It's it's not in. I mean, it's really just a vamped up practice, is what it is. Um, but still, though, with the crowd, with the um, you know, with what you're wearing, what was it like? to just get to go through those motions of suiting up, being a lifelong Georgia fan, and even for just one G-Day game where you got four reps, what was that kind of like for someone who was a lifelong Georgia fan who was told, um, you know, probably a lot going through all of this, you're, you're never going to make it? That was an incredible experience. That was the first time that I'd ever uh, worn a jersey. The G-Day jerseys don't have names on the back of them, but still wearing that official game jersey. It's the first time I ever got to do that. It meant a lot. Um, G-Day is a little different than a normal game in that they have a reception beforehand and actually let everyone's family um, kind of hang out with them. So that was a nice touch, whereas an actual game, you're really focused and zoned in on the game plan and um, don't have time to 
is socialized by any means. Um, but it was a fun experience. It's interesting because there are no opposing fans on G Day. Um, but still a still a game atmosphere, but kind of a game light atmosphere. You you know you can't sack the quarterback. Um, the officials are very quick to to blow a whistle just to make sure nobody gets hurt. But still a fun experience. It was it was a game light um, atmosphere. And but still kind of a, a game feel nonetheless, much bigger than any kind of high school playoff game atmosphere or anything that I'd been a part of. Um, so I, you know, really enjoyed it. It was fun to be on the winning side. Um, but shortly afterwards was when I found out that I had been cut. So keep keep going with your story. So after you find out, so we're we're at your first season here, your first try, uh, and so you got through the GA game, and then you found out that you were cut. So explain like the the thought process because you go from getting told that you were going to get cut, that, that you weren't a part of the team. And like I said, like I referenced earlier, instead of turn into negative, you turn into a positive and move forward with that. So explain, I, I find it interesting after reading your book, what triggered that thought? I mean, I know it's, it's something where it's kind of hardwired into you and how you are as a person. Um, because certain people, you just have that, that drive that just doesn't stop, even if you have negative things that happen to you. Uh, but, but explain what it was to you that just kind of switched, even whenever you were told no, that made you just keep, keep driving. You know, that, that was a tough experience. I had a lot of good friends that I'd made through the tryout process, including several that were with me all the previous fall that were trying to earn a spot to try out. And um, almost none of them decided to come back the next year. That was pretty surprising um, to me, you know, just because I was told no once, that's not the end of it. I'm, I'm a freshman. At the end of the day, I, I certainly was not going to be dressing out for games or anything as a freshman anyways. And so um, so it, it was a setback. Um, I didn't view it in that negative of a light. I really viewed it as an opportunity to get better. And I knew there was still a, a wide gap between myself and the other guys that were out there. You know, I, I'm able to take an objective view on things. So to me, it, it was the chance to kind of double down and get back to some of my solo training. Because while I really, really enjoyed practicing and working out with the team, I wasn't able to make any progress physically during that tryout because you look at you're trying to um, work on your conditioning and increase your maxes in the weight room in January. And then in February, to be good at mat drills, you really need to lose 10 pounds in a heartbeat. And then in March, you need to work on your football skills. And so throughout all of that, I wasn't able to gain any weight or, or get much better outside of maybe some play recognition and learning some basic plays on the defense. So in a way, it, it almost helped me that I was given the opportunity to get back to working on my own, um, back to training uh, my own workouts that I was in control of while also having a ton more time to eat. And I made the decision after I got cut to go ahead and go to eight full-size meals a day. Um, so at this point I'm eating every two hours and just continuing to, to bulk up. And really over that summer um, went from about 185 all the way up to 200. So that's right where I was to start the fall of my sophomore year. Right, and we need to we need to make sure that it's clear that these meals that you were eating every two hours these weren't snacks. I mean that we're talking full meals. We're talking, you know, a, a meat, a, a vegetable, if not just meat. And then you know you you were really packing on the packing on the calories, trying to trying to gain weight. And so I feel like we need to make sure that we make a point to know that th these aren't just snacks. These are what the average person eats three meals a day. That's what these were. So yeah, exactly. These are seven hundred fifty calorie meals um, that. Like you mentioned, everyone usually eats three of. I was eating eight of those. And, you know, it, it felt a little disgusting, but I would have been more disgusted with myself if I didn't give my best. So decided to um, – 
to ramp that up. And then when I started uh, fall of my sophomore year, I was going to be working out on my own that fall. And I set a goal that I wanted to gain two pounds every single week for the semester. And so that um, was 16 weeks long. And I started right at 200. And um, there were a few things that fall that were helpful. There were a couple guys that were planning on trying out with me in the spring. And we all trained for the strongest dog, which is the UGA powerlifting competition. And um, that was a very fun experience. Myself and two of the guys that I trained with, each one are weight classes and um, was, was something fun to work towards. And so that fall, I really focused on strength training, eating a lot, and also some speed training. Um, but when I got to college, I ran a 5.640, which is probably slower than even the, the biggest 350-pound lineman on the team. Um, so I knew I needed to work on that as well. And so um, I hit my goal exactly. So by the end of fall of my sophomore year, I had gained exactly two pounds a week. So I was 232. And at this point in time, um, I was ready for another tryout and to make another run at it for uh, as a linebacker. So I went into Coach Tereshinsky's office and said, I'd like to try out. And he just said, OK. And that kind of set the table for spring of my sophomore year, getting ready to try out a second time. Wow. So um, you're getting ready to roll into it. There's already uh, a lot of the guys that were um, there with you that first year decided all right, you know, I got to taste my mouth. And I'm sure a lot of them were probably just satisfied with being in the G-Day game. You know, they're just kind of like, ah, that's enough for me. Um, that wasn't enough for you, though. Uh, you you were not satisfied there. I'm sure that you were grateful for that experience, and it was neat, if nothing else. But there's still a part of you that's like, I'm not done. I, I've got more to give. I've got more in me. Um, and, and then literally you put more in you. <laughs> so that way you were, you would be prepared. Um, so what was it kind of like, were there a lot of people that you recognized when you showed back up for tryouts? Like, were there, um, some, whether it be, uh, you know, other guys who were trying to walk on again, like how, how many would you say showed back up and you recognized them, you knew them and you're like, Hey, we're, we're in this together still, even at this point year two into the, the journey to try to become a bulldog. So only one guy from that first group came back out a second wow. year. Only one guy. And from that first year, we started uh, the tryout with 52 guys, and only four went on to make the team. So it was a very tough time. You look at um, at the end of the 2007 season, Georgia finished number two, and they were preseason number one the next season. There were guys um, that transferred in from um, smaller schools that had actually started a few years of college football that were just trying out for Georgia's team. So there was some very serious competition. Um, and so the, the next year, the tryout group, I would say, was um, not quite as big. It was probably about 40 guys. And, and it looked like there would be a few more spots open on that year's team. It all depends on the amount of preferred walk-ons that they have because there there's really a cap of 40 walk-ons that you have, but there's no limit to the mix ratio of preferred walk-ons to people making it from a tryout. Some schools have nobody that makes it from a tryout. Some schools have a lot of guys. Um, so it all depends on really the, the skill set of each guy, but also the needs of the team. So I get into the tryout spring of my sophomore year. I know exactly what to expect each month. Um, felt like I was doing a lot better when we got to the football drills of blending in. I mean, I looked like a linebacker. Um, by this point in time, uh, my 40 time was only a little bit over five seconds. It later got down to 4'9". 
Um, so I'm, I'm not fast, but I'm, I'm not slow. I'm at least blending in with the group. And so, uh, it seemed to me like I was right on the edge and, and I even had one of the assistant strength coaches that specifically was working with linebackers tell me that he thought I was right on the edge and he wanted me to keep pushing and, and see what happens. And so, um, I mean, G day again, sophomore year play exactly four snaps. Again, they, they tried to rotate through and give most guys two to four snaps. So if you're, if you're still trying out at that point, they try to give everybody a chance to play, which I like a lot. Um, and so then, um, a really defining moment, I get back to my locker after, um, you know, after a workout, this is about a week after G day. And I see the comment card that you mentioned that I include in my book. And it says that, I'm too small, too slow, too weak, average strength, a division three player at best, and that I should strongly consider giving it up and never playing football again. And that, that was about as harsh as you can put it. Um, and, and it seemingly run contradictory to the feedback that my own linebacker coach and the assistant strength coach had given me. So I was surprised, but that was definitely a wake up call for me. It let me know that even though I had continued to improve that it is going to be incredibly difficult to make this football team um, for guys trying out, they have absolutely no time to help you with or care about anything that you're doing. Cause the, these coaches are putting in countless, countless hours, never seeing their families. And that's just to develop the scholarship guys and the handful of walk-ons that are already starting on special teams. If you're not even on the team yet, they, they can't really take time to develop you. You need to do that yourself. And so um, after that, I, uh, was, was very frustrated, um, kind of angry and disappointed all in one. So I, I put on some music on my iPod and started walking and, um, eventually ended up on the Sanford bridge overlooking the stadium. And just remember thinking that there was no way that there were 125 guys in this world that wanted to be part of that team more than I did. And so I knew right then and there that no matter what, I was coming back and trying out for that team. And I didn't care if they said they never wanted me to try out again, they were gonna see me again. And so um, decided to um, double down on my training, um, continued strength training and started working out with um, Craig Sager Jr. who was a walk-on at Georgia. And he was you know, very fierce, um, both on the field and off the field and big and, and weight training and started working with working out with his friend Jarrett Moore as well. And he was a very strong power lifter, um, helped me with some sports specific training and designed a, a regimen for me that summer. And I decided to get up to 10 full size meals a day. So at this point, I'm eating once every hour and a half full meals. And you drink how much milk in a day? So after a couple months, I stopped gaining weight from 10 meals a day. And I decided to add two gallons of whole milk a day. Two gallons. Me and my wife go through a gallon a week <laughs> at the house. <laughs> I mean, I just threw out half a gallon because my wife and I didn't finish it. So, I mean, and I, that's just unreal. I, and for y'all listening, you're like, oh, you know, the milk is good and, you know, whatever. It's, it's easy to chug down every now and then. Try to drink two gallons. Just sit down one day, try to drink two gallons. And if you get done and and then you have room for the two meals or sorry, not two, ten meals after that, um, let us know because I, I'd be interested in how you did it because that's just that's not something you do unless you are burning some legitimate calories and turning that into healthy weight. Because here I am, 
um, you know, uh, uh, all but six foot and 250 pounds of, you know, just little Debbie and, and, you know, beef turkey. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, but I remember though, when I was, um, you know, growing up, I, I would try to, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. Gaining weight while playing a sport is difficult because I remember I, I played high school football and I tried to gain weight. I, I wanted to be one of the bigger offensive linemen. I just wasn't. And actually I, I got a picture. I'm going to show you, uh, before we get done, Candler, of me when I was playing. And um, it's actually – it's really funny. That's why I want to show it to you uh, for, a, for a specific reason. I'm going to bring it up a little bit later. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I was pretty undersized for an offensive lineman at the time. I, I could not get over 200 pounds when I was in high school um, because of all the constant uh, conditioning, the running and everything. And so um, exactly what kind of workouts were you doing because – Obviously, you were getting faster, but you were also getting heavier, which is just that just blows my mind. Yeah, it it was an interesting um, an interesting time while trying to get faster while while also growing. But you have to because if you get out there and you can't move, there's no way in the world you're going to make the team. So I had to focus a lot on running, and I I had to sacrifice some um, long distance conditioning. So I had, I had to give up on running anything longer than about a 220 yard sprint. Um, you know, back in the day, I used to enjoy running a mile, but you have to completely surrender that. You need to be fast for 10, 20, max of 40 yards at a time if you're um, going to be playing linebacker or later defensive line. Um, but yeah, so this meal plan, it was crazy. Um, eating every hour and a half, um, I had to change my class schedule even because I, I could only have one class in a row at a time. I had to eat, then go to class, then eat, then go to class, then eat. Um, on some of the Tuesday, Thursday classes, those those last almost an hour and a half. So that was about too long. So sometimes I would bring baked potatoes with me and just start chomping on them in the middle of a classroom. Um, and then at one point, my weight plateaued some more. So I added in 10 peanut butter and banana smoothies a day from the East Campus Village Dining Hall. So at this point, I'm taking in a little bit north of 15,000 calories a day. And I, I would not recommend that to anyone unless you have a 20 or 21-year-old's metabolism like I did. I certainly couldn't pull that off now. And then also, if you're training like crazy and, and burning off a lot of calories. But um, really, it would just focus on... Um, three types of training, um, one being strength training and mostly training like a power lifter. I mean, you're, you're training to be strong for about five reps, sometimes three reps. You're not doing um, 15 to 20 rep sets. You're trying to just pack on dense muscle. You don't need to look like a bodybuilder. You need to be strong. And then two is, is just doing conditioning, very short sprints. Just focus on um, your get off, your first couple steps being quick. And then three is, is, um, position specific drills. And I actually decided to change positions after I was cut the second time. I just decided that there were so many guys trying out to be linebackers and you had to be so agile and read plays and diagnose them so quickly that it was in my best interest to change to defensive end. And I have never played a snap of defensive end in my life. Um, I, you know, I, I played D end and on Madden a couple times. So knew. uh, <laughs> knew sort of what they should be doing, but I, I really just started watching YouTube videos and see what is a defensive end stance? What are they looking for? What, you know, how are the techniques numbered? 
Um, what are some different pass rush techniques? What do you do against the run? And then I would go out into a field by myself, the intramural fields at UGA, and try to act it out um, to the best of my knowledge based on the, the video that I had just watched. And so really just taught myself how to play the position. But I knew that I needed to do that because the herd was thinning at defensive end. If you look at the guys trying out, there were just a lot more in shape guys at 220 walking around campus that wanted to try out than there were in shape guys at 250, 260 walking around campus. So I knew that um, I would have a better chance there. And so by the, um, the spring of my junior year, now the third time that I'm getting ready to try out, I'm all the way up to 265. So I've gained 120 pounds of muscle during this time and decreased uh, my 40 time by seven tenths of a second. So I walk into Coach Tereshinsky's office and say, I want to try out. And he just looks at me and says, okay, end of discussion. There was no mention of um, the comment card that he had um, left the, the spring before or anything. And I finally show up to the physical. They have everybody do one of those before they try out, just to make sure you're healthy enough to do it. And um, the, the physician just takes a look at my weight chart since my freshman year and says, I'll be back. And then says that uh, me and only me out of the whole team had been selected for random steroid testing. Yeah, that was random, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it sure was. So you told me one time, I, this was a phone conversation where you said um, essentially you had shown up, and this may have been the time, but essentially they said, man, Candler, you – you've really bulked up and then looked at the guy standing next to you and said, what's your excuse? Uh, was this then, or was this like the year before? Or? That was then. That was um, then. That was in the, the weight room um, because there was another guy that was coming back to try out a second time, and, and he looked the exact same as he had since freshman year. Wow. And so there was a clear – and maybe this is why he was so um, eager to just say, yes, you're, you're going you're gonna to try out again. Um, it was – Adamant, it was obvious that you meant business. Like, you didn't just come and were like, hey, I'm not going to change anything about my habits, uh, whether it be eating or working out or anything like that. Um, you showed up, and you made it clear to the coaches, to the trainers, everyone that was there, even the other guys on the team, you mean business. You're not playing around. This isn't just something that you're like, oh, it'd be cool if I'd make the team. But like, you went in there with a mission, with a goal, and everybody knew it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I had to take it seriously because football just didn't come easy to me. It was, it was probably naturally my third or fourth best sport, but it happened to be the one that I enjoyed by far the most out of all of them. Um, so, you know, essentially they're, they're all stunned when the steroid test comes back negative and uh, they find out it's been all just chicken and steak and baked potatoes. M milk. And, and milk. <laughs> A lot of milk. And, um, and so then I, I try out again and was kind of surprised. None of my um, technique was overly criticized. Coach Garner uh, was the D-line coach, and, and he would um, give me pointers and, and give certain tweaks, but you know he really gave no indication of knowing that I had literally never played defensive end before and that I'm just kind of learning this in real time um, on the practice field. I wish I had heard your story before I went. My So I had never played football in my life. I'm getting ready to play uh, high school football for the first time as a 10th grader and I show up to spring practice and after about two or three reps had the defensive line coach pull me out and say son you've never played football in your life have you <laughs> you're on to something coach it's <laughs> so a little bit different there obviously um you you had done your homework you had studied you had gone on YouTube uh where you get all the best answers for everything um and uh you 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 
knew what you were doing before you got there. You were not going to let there get let there be anything that slipped between the cracks, or, or you know, you, you knew exactly what you were doing. Um, even if you didn't know that you knew what you were doing, you got there, and it was evident enough that you knew what you were doing. Um, I just find that just incredible. So there, they didn't really have too many comments for you in terms of your technique, and this was your first time doing it, other than in a field over at the intramural fields at UGA. Yeah, they really gave me um, just a handful of pointers like they did every single other walk-on that was already on the team or guys trying out. Um, it's possible they had that thought in their mind that maybe he's never played DN before, but they never said anything. Um, so, you know, really really bonded quickly with um, the, the D-line room, the D-line coach, um, the graduate assistant who actually – was um, a former walk-on at Georgia. He was one of the four guys back in 2007 that had made the team while trying out. And he was back now as a, a graduate assistant coach. Um, and so go through that spring, um, get to play some pretty significant reps in the G-Day game, um, got to play, it was 12 snaps that year, so three times what I had the previous two years. And at this point, um, Georgia had – just decided to let go all of their defensive assistants except for Coach Garner. So we're going to be running a completely new defense. So the defense I knew before was completely worthless now. And we actually switched to a 3-4 defense for the first time in Georgia history. And that's ever since worked very, very well for them. But this was the first year that they were doing that. This was the, the 2010 season. And they bring in Todd Grantham, who had um, been in the NFL and I started reading as much as I could about the 3-4 defense and how that was different from the 4-3 specific to defensive ends. And the short answer was, it's very different. Um, DNs are, are almost like a, a D tackle, really, in a 3-4, which was good and bad. It was bad because now I'll go from being about the size that a walk-on DN should be to in a 3-4, I'll be very undersized. You want guys that are going to be like 290 to 310 to be your defensive ends in a 3-4. And then you want someone who's – 350-plus at, at nose guard. Um, but the good thing was now there was even fewer competition. There were even fewer walk-ons that wanted to play inside at, as a D-end um, in a 3-4 defense. There were several guys that, when they announced a defensive change, immediately switched to outside linebacker instead of defensive end. Um, so I think all in all, that, that helped – um, a lot of three, four DNs, you're, you're really taking on double team blocks. You're not running pass rushing on the edge. So it actually would hide any kind of speed deficiency that I had even better. Um, so it, all in all, I, th I think it was good learning that. And I think it helped me as well. It also helped that three of the four defensive coaches were brand new. And so nobody even remembered that I'd tried out before. And even though coach Garner had been there before, I wasn't trying out for his position. I was trying out for linebackers. So he had no clue who I was. So he, you know, didn't have um, preconceived notions or remember me getting cut a few times. It was a completely blank slate, which I think was very helpful. And so we get through the G day game that year and I meet with coach Garner and he's just very matter of fact about uh, what I need to improve on, um, what I've done a, a decent job of, and that, you know, they're really going to need me on scout team this fall and uh, welcome to the team. And it was also matter of fact as if he just kind of expected that to happen after the very first practice. And I don't know if I'd always thought that they pressed a button and that balloons and streamers came out or whatever when you made the team, but it was just so matter of fact such a huge moment in my life and it and um it was just kind of in front of me and there before I even knew it so you're sitting here 
Um, I, I'm, I'm imagining this in an office. Was it, was it kind of like that? Yeah. It was in an office. All right. You're sitting across the desk from the coach and, and you're just kind of like hearing this. All right. So, you know, we're going to need you on the practice squad, all this stuff. And you're just kind of probably sitting there going, does this mean I made it? Does this mean I made it? Does this mean I made it? And then he drops that bomb. You make the team and he's just kind of like, yeah, what's, what's new? Like, duh, like, you know, we're going, we're going to use you a lot this year on practice squad and sort of thing. And you're probably trying to do everything that you possibly can to not make it look like you're this like fan girl about like, Hey, look, I made it. Cause I know I would have absolutely <laughs> lost it. I just, yeah. whether I would have been weeping or I would have been like, finally, or I would have jumped up and down and had my own confetti gun. I don't know. But, um, what was it like trying to hold it together, I guess, and, and show like, Hey, I mean business, but you kind of just confirmed a lifelong dream of mine. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I thanked him for the, the feedback and several things to work on, told him I'd focus on those over the summer and then, um, and then managed to say, you, you know, I'll see you, uh, in a month or so since they give us a break to go back home and then made it all the way to the locker room before I started having the uh, happy tears come out. So it looked cool enough, uh, to, I guess, to, to pass, like I belonged there when I was in the meeting room with them at least. Um, and so then, you know, went back and kind of redoubled my efforts that summer and focused uh, more on position um, drills. At this point, I um, I had really gained as much weight as my body would possibly um, allow me to. And in fact, had, had lost a tiny bit of it over that spring because you're working out so much, you're running so much that even 10 meals a day wasn't even quite enough to keep the weight on. So focus on trying to get right back up to 265, but really trying to learn the playbook and focus on um, on technique, hand position, um, staying low, things like that. What a story. And, and that's just the first first part of it. Uh, you know, and ultimately that's probably what Candler would tell you is the most important part of his story. It's just so cool um, how he came so far to overcome so much adversity to be able to wear that, that Georgia Power G on a Saturday in the fall in Athens. Just such an incredible story and if you would like to own a copy of that story he wrote a book called from underdog to bulldog it is an incredible book it's got this story with uh, detailed stories and events that we didn't necessarily even have time to get into with our interview although he does cover a lot of it so if you would like to own a copy of that we actually have a signed copy that he signed for those who listen to our show so if you would like to win it all you have to do is you got to follow us on Instagram at around Georgia underscore pod. Follow us on Instagram, like that post, comment, tag a couple of friends in the comments, and then share it. And once you do that, you'll be entered to win. We'll literally draw names from a hat on our Daytona 500 preview episode on next Monday morning at 10 a.m. Now, uh, we will, uh, of course, be bringing you part two to this podcast on Friday morning at 10 a.m. We've gotten to where we are going to be a weekly series. 10 a.m. Monday mornings is our time slot, but with Candler, we had so much content, we couldn't quite just cover it all in one episode, so we're going to get to it in a second one. So part two of the Candler Cook interview, his journey as a Georgia Bulldog is going to be released on Friday morning at 10 a.m. You're not going to want to miss it. Be sure to tune in, listen to the rest of it.
And again, make sure you are following us on Instagram at AroundGeorgia underscore pod if you would like to get a copy of that book. Of course, you can always go online. Look, it's not that expensive of a book, and we highly recommend you supporting Candler uh, in this book. It's a great story, and we want to get it out there. We know he does too. So thank you so much for listening. This has been Around Georgia with Josh and Kent, and we'll be back with you again Friday morning at 10 o'clock. Go Go dogs. Dogs!